broadcasting from their world headquarters in Texas. It's the Arcade Repair Tips Live Show. The show that discusses arcade repair, restoration, news, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Tim and Jonathan. Well, hello everybody and welcome to episode 32 of the Arcade Repair Tips Live Show for October 2019. My name is Jonathan Leung, the producer, director, and editor of the Arcade Repair Tips video series. And joining me today, as most always, is Mr. Arcade Repair Tips himself, Tim Peterson. Tim, how you doing? Well, I'm fighting uh, Texas allergies today, but um, I, f- I feel better than I sound, so hopefully it's not too too bad. Oh, there you go. Now, Tim, I know you've been busy. Uh, I've been getting texts seeing the Mr. Gaddy's pizza truck all over the place, it seems like, or yeah, trailer, I should say. Right. So how's everything going with that? Things at Mr. Gaddy's going pretty well for you? <clears throat> it's good. We just wrapped up our uh, East Texas Fair, which was there for 10 days, and uh, we did pretty good. Uh, what's uh, still amazing is how many people don't know where Gaddy's is, so we're still getting a lot of people, oh, we didn't know there was one in Tyler again, so... It's bringing people into the restaurant, which is big help this time of year. So for Fair Week, we did pretty good. Now, if you guys want to hear more about Tim's adventures at the fair, we were going to have some of that talk in the live show, right? Yes. So including maybe some arcade-related fair talk, right? Yes. So if you guys want to, you can listen to that during the after show. But, um, Tim... Right now, it's kind of fair season around here. And I don't know if it's like that everywhere. It just seems like in yeah. Texas, the fall is fair season. Right. Well, you know... Everybody else has fall. We have the second version of, of uh, summer. That's right. Summer, too. It's 100 degrees today. <laughs> the sequel, right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, it, you know, cold front's coming through. It's going to be like 85 next week. Everybody's excited. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, hopefully, we hope the, the weather's nice where you are. And we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. Because, Tim, <laughs> there are a lot of things you could be watching tonight. You could be watching the MLB postseason. You could be watching the beginning of hockey season, or you could be watching NFL, but you guys chose to watch us, or maybe you're watching us and one of those as well. We don't care. As long as you're here, we're glad you're here. So thank you for joining us tonight. Remember, guys, that you can leave messages in the live chat this evening to interact with us during the show. Tim, it looks like we got a couple of guys here already. It does look like YouTube Punk is here. Jason's here. Uh, Louie is here. Of course, Louie is here. So he's going to be doing some ordering for us, I'm sure. Thank you, Louie, for being with us tonight. And then Tim Michael's here as well. So we have a lot of people here. Uh, let's see. Any, any, um, I'll check the live chat real quick. Sorry we had to delay for a minute there, guys. Just had a little bit of a mm-hmm. five-minute delay. Uh, nothing serious. Just, you know, got to get our decks in a row sometimes. Right, Tim? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it looks like everybody is doing well. Uh, oh, uh, YouTube Punk says he thinks you stole his shirt. So oh, Tim okay. is wearing an nice Atari shirt. And he may be right. I don't know. Uh, a very popular Atari shirt, I, yes. I should add. So uh, let's see. Michael says, hey, Jonathan and Tim, for me and my wife, Danny. Hi, Michael and Danny. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, let's see. Mr. Gaddy's Command Strike Mobile Pizza Assault Vehicle. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> guess, is, guess, what, is that what you serve your pizza out of, Tim? Uh, pretty good. It's some kind of nuclear reactor because that thing is hot inside. <laughs> if it's 100 degrees outside, it's about 140, 150 in there. So. Golly, really? really now, hot, yeah. did you guys have any kind of AC in there? We have installed an AC uh, air conditioning, but you can imagine we've got uh, a full uh, regular-sized pizza oven in there, uh, two or three... Uh, cooling units or for food and stuff and prep 
So a lot of times when it's running full blast, it trips the breaker a lot. So we're constantly we're trying we we did some work on it this week to hopefully try to fix that. And it's just a learning process, yeah. right? I mean, you know, as you take it out, you get a little bit better at managing those things. I'm sure. But it was definitely hot in there. Now, just to give people idea, what do you offer and what do you charge for it? A lot what of we do uh, there in the pizza truck is we we narrow it down to just a few toppings like pepperoni, cheese, sausage. And maybe some extra toppings like jalapenos or something on the side. We make it by the slice and we double up the slice size. So you can see my hands, a slice is about this big. And then so like you can get a couple slices and a drink for like $5 or something at the fair. Not bad at all. So yeah. Definitely. So Tim, we have a couple here. Joe says Joe, <coughs> Joe DeLong Excuse is me. here. He is here. Uh, George Arcade is here. Hey, George. How's it going? Uh, Knights of Old, does the OG 19-inch Stargate Williams monitor have a horizontal position adjustment pot or dial? Not horizontal size. Now, Tim, I am not. Sh- I can't remember exactly which monitor usually comes in a uh, Stargate. A I want to say it's a Wells Gunner, either yeah. 46 or 49. Right, probably but, a 4900. Right, So, but I can't remember. I mean, most of the older monitors do have a horizontal uh, position adjustment for the most part. Now, Tim, uh, we've seen like on Geo7s where we have the jumper. Yes. Where we have to move the jumper in order to in order to modify the horizontal position. So it may not be an actual dial or pot. It may be a jumper on the board, but it really depends on which kind of monitor you have, right, Tim? Yeah, and I probably have seen four or five different kinds of monitors in that game. So um, if you're not sure which kind of monitor you have, you take a picture of the chassis for us and show it to us, we can tell you. And we can also help you identify where the horizontal adjustment is if you need help with that. So uh, pictures are always helpful, Tim. Or if you know exactly which monitor you have, you can listen to that as well. Okay, Tim, I think we're ready to go ahead and begin some questions. All right. What do you think? Can I throw them your way? Let's go. You're ready to hit some home runs or, I don't know, strikeouts or... Or te- are we going to score touchdowns? Uh, I'm trying to get sports set, analogies in here. I'll Lots of sports to, tonight. I'll settle for just getting on base. Let's go. <laughs> there you go. So let us continue here, guys. Very first question is from Matthew. And Matthew says, I hope this comment gets to you. Well, Tim, I think it did. So here we go. I have a 15-year-old cocktail arcade, a 40-in-1. Several years ago, it started to hang up after the initialization and gets stuck in demo mode. It shows the game selection screen, but the Player 1 and Player 2 buttons do not work. In fact, none of the buttons or joysticks work. I have checked the continuity on the grounding wires, on the control panel, and they are all good. The voltage from the power supply is good as well. Are you aware of any other issues besides the board that could be causing this? Any help would be appreciated. Okay, Tim. So we have Matthew here. Now, he's got a 40-in-1, Tim, which is a early successor right. of the 60-in-1, right? And so our predecessor is right. probably a better way to say it. An early predecessor to the 60-in-1 board, Tim. But he's having this problem where it just hangs up and won't let him actually start a game. So it goes to the game selection screen, and anytime he hits something, it just kind of goes blank. There's no there's no response from any of the controls. Now, he's saying that he's done continuity on the grounding wires. Now, okay. Which is something that we would probably recommend to check almost every time when you're having control issues. But what other things should Matthew check in order to see <coughs> if, it's his board, if it's a board issue, a control issue, or if it's something else? Well, my biggest question is, you know, all of those games will do that if the game isn't coined up and it's not on free play. Sure. So what he needs to make sure is that somehow a dip switch didn't get changed. I'm assuming it was on free play to begin with. Or is he having some kind of problem uh, with his coin switch or something coining up the game? Uh, A lot of times to get it off of that screen, you have to coin it up to take it into that. So it sounds to me like there could be um, a mix-up there where it's maybe thinks... Uh, that it's in game mode. Uh, so he needs to check his settings. So maybe he could switch it to free play mode and just see if it will play that way. 
Uh, so he needs to check the dip switch settings, which should be close to the one, the 60 and one, which you can get that manual. You probably can't get the 40 and one manual, maybe yeah. online somewhere. Maybe. Um, while that's what it seems like, it's easy, but you could have a bad board after 15 years. That's a lot. Uh, on one of those boards, if you play it quite often, we've had sixty-one boards go out after five years. Right, just to give you an example, and some that didn't work off the bat. Correct. So, um, it could be a board issue, and I would go ahead and check stuff like your voltage and things to make sure that your all that is right. But, um, but being that you can now get what you know, I'm trying to remember how much a forty and one that goes way back. They seemed like they were over a hundred dollars at that time, and now you can get a sixty and one. Yep. So worst case scenario, you could get a sixty and one for about fifty bucks or less, and then go ahead and replace it, and you'd have more games than you have now. So I would I would definitely uh, check into those couple things, but the dip switch settings is where I would go first. Make sure that it's not on. Uh, if it is on coin up, sounds like it, you need to coin it up or put it into free play and see what happens there. And Tim, it is very common for these multi game boards to lose their settings because, especially with the early versions of the sixty and one, because it is a soft dip switch for the free play. So it could be that at one time, Matthew, your game was in free play, and then it may have gotten a surge or something like that, or something may have happened, maybe a little jolt to the board that caused it to go back to coin play. It's very possible that could have happened. So it is. Like Tim mentioned, it is very possible that you had a free play mode at one time and now it's no longer in free play mode. Right. So, Tim, with that said, let's go ahead and throw this up here. Oh, see, I'm teasing stuff beforehand. Shouldn't do that. Uh, let's see, Matthew. The only other time we've seen an issue like this is when the game is set for coin play, but no coins have been inserted. Make sure that your game is on free play mode if you want to play the game without inserting coins. You can select free play mode through the setup screen, or Tim, he can just coin up the game as well. Okay. Okay, so he can do that. While it seems like this is more of a wiring or setup issue, like Tim mentioned, it is possible that your board has gone bad. If this is the case, your best bet is to replace it with a 60-in-1, which can be purchased for around $50 or less, Tim. And we have the links, and they're also in the show description below uh, for a 60-in-1 or uh, 60-in-1 that you purchase from either Amazon or eBay. And those are pretty much the only places where you can purchase those from, Tim. And the reason why is because um, the people who are selling on Amazon and eBay are international sellers. Right. And so international sellers don't have to worry about pesky little things like copyright. Right. And so whereas American sellers do. And so now it's really hard to find American sellers that have these boards in stock. But there are plenty of sellers on Amazon and eBay that will be happy to hook you up. So if you need one of those boards, that would be the way to go. But double check your coin settings. Make sure it is on free play. Or if it's not, make sure you're coining it up before you start the game. Because, Tim, that would cause it not to work properly. Right, that's what it sounds like to me, and especially if it's a soft soft dip switch setting that he could have actually it could have actually got mis- mixed up over time, especially or if he left it off for a long time and then didn't play it. Right. It could happen like that. Absolutely. So Matthew, hopefully it answers your question and good luck getting that 40 and 1 board back up and running. Okay, Tim, it looks like we have a couple of questions here in the live chat. Joe DeLong says, I sent a question in a couple days ago about my Arcade Legends battery swap. Can you guys answer it live tonight? So I didn't actually put this on the outline, Tim, but Joe, I think I already read your email. And I think, Tim, Joe was wondering, he needs to do a battery swap on his Arcade Legends, but he doesn't want to have to swap it out and then have to redo all the settings. So he was wondering if he could jumper, like, another battery, like, basically on the backside of the board, if there's a way he could jumper a battery temporarily into its spot while he changes out the battery. I think so. Okay, so you think that's possible? Yeah, I think it's possible you could get like a battery holder or something or there's some... Even a pigtail style battery? Like a pigtail style battery that has the same voltage and you can just attach it onto that. 
Right. So you could do that and then take that battery out, put the other battery in, you should be okay? Oh, yes. That's Sorry. why it's a live show. It's my daughter. <laughs> make, make, let me make sure. Go ahead. Is we'll she keep alive? talking. Let oh, me okay. make sure that it's nothing important. So, but that, you probably think try to reach your mother. There you go. But that is possible, you think? Yes, I think it is possible because of the fact that um, you can do that and uh, and you could even go on the other side of the board. That's what I think he's thinking. It's yeah, he wants and to go do on the it like that. Side. That's why I would do it. Okay, so I've not actually tried it before, Tim, but I know you've had more experience with stuff like that than I have. So, but mm-hmm. uh, so I mean, I think it's worth a shot, right? If nothing yes. else. So okay, let's see, Mister Silverball Mania. I picked up a Golden T two thousand five for free. So there you go, Tim. Free. Oh wow! They said the monitor didn't work. A Wells Guard twenty-seven ninety-two, and the anode cap uh, cap was off and resting on the neck board. And uh, let's see, and one hell of uh, Arcan smoke got lucky, didn't fry it. So apparently he had a lot of um, uh, oh arc and smoke. I okay. think is what he meant. So it had a big arc and a big smoke after he tried to plug it in. So um, the monitor works, but only the green and the blue uh, screen, when I go into the menu, can turn the red up, will stay the whole time until you shut it off and restart. So it's almost like the monitor itself is resetting the red. Okay. So what do you think would cause that? That's a 2700 series. Well, if you get an arc and smoke from it... Um... Well, he says he says um, the monitor works, but only the green and blue on screen when I go into the menu, is what it says. Well, it could. It's probably um, just this red drive or something. You but know? he says it, he can turn it up and it'll stay until he shuts it down, and then the red goes back. Oh, and then it resets. Right, and then it like resets the red, which is really strange. Um, on digital monitors, Tim, I mean, a lot of times there is a setting save that you have to do. Um, and you know, I'm not as familiar with the 2700 series as I am with like the, you know, with some of the like 9200 type series, obviously, but there may be a setting in there that like sometimes what you have to do is, um, you have to set the way you want, then you have to cut power to adjust the monitor and give it power back. Or if there's a power button on the monitor, you have to hit the power button on the monitor to have it keep the red setting and then to turn it back. Yeah. But I'm not sure about the 2700 I remember when I worked for Chuck E. Cheese, we had to do that on a monitor and every day I would come in and I'm like, I just changed it and you change it and it would work. And it was something like whole player one start and it's like an enter almost that you had to do. So whatever monitor you have, if you Google that, how to save the settings, I bet you can figure it out. It was like, and even uh, if it's a Wells Gardner, they can still, you can still call and they can walk you through it. I remember one time they even had me go into like the secret menu and right. stuff. And I was like, oh, this is cool. But it was some form of on the, um, remote, the, board. the remote board. It was like you hold two down and, do, you know, it was something like that. It's like a. Kind of like the ABAB when you're playing Nintendo, <laughs> you know, you had to hit a couple buttons just right. There you go. So, uh, Mr. Silverball Mania, you may contact Wells Garner about that, but there is, I think Tim is right. There is a way to save the settings, so it may be that whenever the setting, whenever you turn off the monitor, <coughs> the settings are not being saved. There is a way to do it. You may need to contact Wells on that. Maybe able to find it in the manual, Tim, uh, or you may be able to find it via Google search, like Tim mentioned, but I don't have enough experience with 2700 to know that off the top of my head. It's been a Sorry. long time since I did that, but I do remember that happening where I had to go in and save that. I finally figured it out. I was like, oh, well, there it is. Even then, I think, uh, also I have to replace a chip. There's a chip on the board that I've had to replace before that would do some, wouldn't save and would do some stuff. Sure. Uh, Knights of Old says, I have a discoloration on corner of the 
of an unmoved monitor comes back after degaussing. I suspect it's a bolt or nut near maybe magnetized. How do I test for that? Well, to be honest with you, if you keep running the, um, the, the degaussing coil over it, eventually it should demagnetize. It will take some time and it may take some adjustment or it may take some, a little while to do that. But, but that's basically what degaussing does, Tim, is it kind of removes the magnetic fields from around your monitor tube. So if you continue to use the degaussing coil on it, eventually it should kind of work itself out, but it may take a while for it to do that. And Tim, we've always talked about rotating monitors because yeah. of Earth gravity and other factors. And so, um, you know, sometimes you have it on the floor in one direction. If you literally turn it 90 degrees, it'll change it. Yes. So, I mean, that's something to keep in mind too, especially when you have a monitor on the flat ground instead of in a cabinet. Yeah, because in my old game room, we had one on the concrete floor and literally you could degauss it and the next day we kind of be, it never would get... Quite right. One day we just decided to change it, move it, and when we did, it was perfect. Right. So, I mean, it, a lot of it has to do, having a monitor on the ground sometimes will cause those, like, kind of, like, magnetic forces to work on a little bit more than what you get normally. But degaussing it will continue to help it, because it can't, like I said, it's basically like a demagnetizing effect on it. Um, over time, it should get better and better and better as you continue to degauss it. But also, putting it in a cabinet's going to help a lot once you actually get it in a cabinet. And, like Tim mentioned, if you actually rotate it physically 90 degrees or more, then you may actually you may actually see that discoloration go away automatically. So, yes. There we go. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Michael Bloom, is there an NVRAM for arcade machines like there is for pinball tables? Uh, those replaced batteries are way more reliable. There is for some games. So, um, you know, like an NVRAM for yes. pinball saves the settings automatically. Mm -hmm. Some games do have that, like kind of a perpetual memory type thing. Um, the ones that use battery saves typically do. So if you have a board, um, Williams boards, Tim, I believe, can be modified to use. Right, of course you know, they're pinball Exactly, boards. they're pinball boards, basically. So there are, um, if you if <coughs> any arcade game that has a battery save, most of them also have like an NVRAM equivalent that you can get. But you'll have to do a search for the particular game that you're looking for, and you know, basically like setting save or something like that in order to see. Um, Highscoresaves.com, Tim, our good friend over there. Yeah, he, you know, he has a. Uh, uh, he has a lot of uh, chips that save the scores, but guess what, Tim? They also save the settings as well a lot of That's times. That's correct. So if you go to highscoresaves.com, you can find a whole bunch of games that, uh, a whole bunch of chips for games that allow you to not only save the high score settings, but also save the settings in your game. Let's see. Can't do, um, Knights of Old can't do a battery swap like that on a Capcom CPS3 board. Yeah, I think that is correct. CPS3 boards are a little bit strange. Uh, Tim, you know, I'm not, I, ha I haven't had too much experience with the cps3 boards but i know that they're different than what you get with like cps2 right. whereas it's like a cps2 you can take the battery out literally for 30 minutes and put a new battery in and there's no it right won't lose you have a little time you have a little time but not all boards are like that so you know make sure that you check your manual for the game to see if it recommends anything as far as battery swapping and things like that go as well so let's see what else we got here mr silverball mania thanks from the buckeye state there we go and uh, louis also linked to highscoresaves.com so you guys can check that out a lot of different chips there to save your high scores but tim they also save your sayings as well i have you know we did the video on the kit for donkey kong that kit is still in my donkey kong cabinet and i turn it on all the time still has the same uh you know, every, all the sayings are still saved and everything like that's that. cool so but great stuff uh, highscoresaves.com can't recommend them enough so Okay, Tim, let us move on here to Kelly. Hi, we have been away for the summer and just came back and plugged in our Game L 420 in 1 cocktail arcade. I tried going to the setup screen using the S1 button, going through all the menu items, and being certain it is a 
it is set to the cocktail setting. Every time it goes to the home screen, which lists all the games and has a small screen of the game of choice, and I try to choose a game, it simply reboots every 30 seconds or so. The screen goes black, the Game Elf logo comes up, followed by the press test button to set up message, and then it goes back to the home screen. Anything you could do, or anything you could do to help would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Okay, Tim, so we have Kelly here. Got this Game Elf 420 in one. Tim, a very common board that we see in a lot of yes. article cocktail tables. So the problem is, Tim, is that the game list comes up, but when she selects a game, all of a sudden it just resets about after 30 seconds. And right. so what she's wondering is, what is going on with her Game Elf cocktail table? Well, anytime we come across a game and it's resetting, it just you know starts up or goes through some kind of mode and then resets... One of the very, very, very common things that we find is the power supply, especially after setting up for a time like that. So you got to make sure the voltage. Now, fortunately, a lot of times you can just turn it up or tweak it a little, make sure you get it in range. But a lot of times that is in, indicative of a power supply failure or starting to fail. Exactly, Tim. And uh, Louie mentioned ASAP. ASAP is our, our acronym for Always Start a Power, Tim. Right. So that way you know. Uh, but starting a power is one of the best ways to troubleshoot any game being with. And Tim is right. Anytime we see restarting issues like this, it definitely causes us to look twice at the power supply to make sure that it is putting out the proper voltage. So, Tim, let's go ahead and put this in right here. Okay. Rebooting problems like this, we like to start the power supply. Like we mentioned, Tim, make sure the correct voltage is getting to the board. Use a multimeter to test the plus 5 and plus 12 BDC lines at the power supply on the board. Adjust as needed. And Tim, we have a great video on checking and replacing a power supply that Kelly can check out if she hasn't already. <coughs> you okay? Or, or him. Or him. Yeah, it could be a him. I think it's a her. Like, okay. just the, the rest of the name. So, um, I, didn't, I only put first names on here, Tim. I usually mm. don't put the last name, but I, it sounded more like a, a her than a him this time. Okay. So, there you go. Like Kellyanne or something? Yeah. I know okay. I know Guy Kelly's, too. I know what you're talking about. Right. And, and we're totally getting off on a tangent. But, yes, <laughs> I, I do know. Anyway. I now, Tim, I put this la the second part in here because... The one thing we have to remember about the Game Elf boards is that they have an SD card in them. That's true. That actually holds the ROMs and all the games. And so there is a possibility that the, it may be booting up the menu with all the games, but when it tries to load the game from the SD card, the SD card is corrupt. Right. And so in that case, you may be able to get a replacement SD card, Tim, because a lot of people who sell the Game Elf boards also sell a replacement SD card. Oh, cool. Okay, so you can get the re replacement you may, be, you may have to buy another board completely, depending. But if you set the voltage and the voltage is correct, it may be that the SD card on the Game Elf board is corrupt. And Tim, if you see this little cover on the very back left corner of it, and I know, uh -huh. you know, you see a little square right there, that is usually where the SD card is. It's kind of covered up. If you take that cover off, you can actually pull the SD card out. But I believe that SD card requires Linux in order to read properly. So if you have a okay. Windows computer and you pop it in, it's not gonna you're not gonna be able to read the content off there because of because of the file system. The file system is Linux based, and so you may have to have a Linux based system in order to read that SD card. If I if what I said just goes way over your head, yeah, just, just get, get a replacement card yeah. exactly. But um, if you want to fiddle with it, there are some people Tim online who have fiddled with. Uh, the SD cards to make them play more games or to add games and things like that, but it is a little bit of a cumbersome process. I okay. warn you up front. So, so again, Kelly, here what we want to do: check our voltage, like Tim mentioned. But let's also, if we get our voltage correct, we may need a replacement SD card for our Game Elf board, depending on the issue. So, Kelly, hopefully, that answers your question, and good luck getting your Game Elf cocktail back up and running.
Because, Tim, how frustrating is it when you go to play a game and it goes for 30 seconds and then restarts? Yeah, doesn't make for a fun play. Exactly. Nobody really wants to fast. play that game. So, you got to be really fast. Can you beat Galaga in 30 seconds? No. That's the question. So, anyway, so Kelly hopefully answers your question. Good luck with your cocktail. And, Tim, it looks like Louie um, did a How to Clean Your PCB. He actually uh, linked to a thing. We also have Inspecting an Arcade Board, Tim, which is another, uh, if you want a little bit more about uh, how to clean boards, inspect boards, Inspecting an Arcade Board, our video and post on that is good as well. Uh, and uh, Knights of Old, he's saying uh, you can clean <coughs> boards with Simple Green. Oh, hang on. Let us go back. Knights of Old says, I have a lot of dust built up on modern PCBs over time inside my cabs. Will this cause problems? Should we just aim to keep it dust-free? If so, what are our best best methods and products? Now, Tim, there are a lot of games where we feel like the dust held them together. Yeah, I We will so. say that up front. So, I mean, it's not a bad idea to just keep it like it is if it's working. Um, but if you, I mean, there's not a bad idea to clean it either if you want to go that yeah, route. And just be careful. Exactly. Like Louis said, we recommend Simple Green, Tim, mainly because it doesn't leave film or residue on the board when you clean it so yeah. and you can also put them on, through the dishwasher like we mentioned before yep. gentle cycle no mm-hmm. soap <laughs> yep. gentle cycle no soap right sure so um you know if you're going to do that or just like water only or like they have the little yeah, hot, you know, water. hot water only cycle if you've got down your dishwasher but let the most dry. basic <laughs> basic basic cycle make sure that you let it dry all the way if you're going to do that um but simple green really does clean up pretty well tim on those boards mm-hmm. and um, you know just alcohol is okay a lot of times uh, if you want to do that as well just depending so or if you're like me and you have a daughter you can uh take one of her old makeup brushes and yeah, just yeah. lightly dust it mm-hmm. and that sometimes will do the trick very soft bristles Exactly. So, um, we Tim, we've used the, the little, just the little hardware brushes too from the store. The same ones you'd get just for uh, cleaning various things. You can use mm-hmm. those as well. So, and uh, but Louis linked to all that. That's good stuff as well. Michael, you can use Canopics as a boot disk. That way, you can use Linux without touching your Windows installation. So, yeah, there are Linux live CDs, Tim. That's what Michael is saying. So, um, let's say you have a Windows computer, but you need to run Linux. Okay. You can burn a Linux boot CD. Turn your computer, put the CD in, turn your computer off, turn it back on, let it boot from the CD, and you're in Linux. Wow. Without touching your hard drive. So Linux Live CD <coughs> may be an option for you as well. Excuse There's me. a lot of different ones besides Canopics. There's a lot of them out there. That's pretty cool, though. Yeah. Um, Super Nintendo Zack, did y'all make it out to the uh, American Amusement Auction? Not much there this time. I didn't make any purchases. No, we didn't, unfortunately. No. Um, Tim... Uh, last weekend was really busy. I think yeah. we had a lot of stuff going on. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, we did not make it out there. But, Tim, we all know that David runs that. And we always want to support David. And uh, so those of you who did buy stuff and support him, we thank you guys for going out there. David's a really nice guy. We've known David. How long have you known David, Tim? Gosh, 20, 20 years probably. Yeah, so, I mean, if yeah, you're right in the area. 20 years. So let's say if you're looking for arcade cabinets and you're in an area where American Amusement Auctions is coming, then you should definitely go and check it out. Let's see... Uh, I think oh, inspecting arcade board. Louis went ahead and linked to that one as well. That's good. And Linux boot CD. Uh, Louis linked to that as well. So I think we're good. Right. We're caught up. So let us move to this next question here, Tim. From Sandor, Sandor, or Sandor. Is that it? Uh, with no. the accent mark. I'm just trying to get it. So anyway, I have an arcade power supply with normal plus five volts DC and twelve volts VDC lines. Um, but they are only reading 4 volts DC and 11.4 volts DC, respectively. What do you think I can do? Can I repair this somehow, or do you think a warranty return is in order? (coughs) Thank you in advance for your answer. So, Tim, we have Sandor here, and it's obvious that his power supply is running a little low on the voltage side. 
And so he's he's wondering if a warranty repair is in order, which makes so me think... So he must have a newer one. I was thinking a, a newer one. game, but I was also wanted to take this opportunity maybe to talk about linear old-style power supplies as well. So right. kind of the difference and what we'd recommend for both. So, Tim, let's say Sandor has a linear old-style power supply. What would you recommend for well, him? Then if it's a linear, kind of the old-school one, like in a centipede or something, they're kind of big. They, they are, look, too. They look like a... We'll show a picture of it in a minute, but, you know, they, they always look like a big amp. Yeah. That's what I think. Well, that's uh, what it is, kind right. of, yeah. And so, in a way, I would rebuild one of those if, if I had the opportunity and could because they still sell the parts and the caps and stuff, I would go and rebuild one of those. If it's a newer style, what we call switching power supply or the ATX style, I would, uh, number one, I would unplug everything and just what does it read without any kind of load at all? Right. And is it is the voltage is still low? Well, most of them have an adjustment on it, and you can turn that up and try to tweak that. Now, if without anything on it, it's still reading what you're talking about, then yes, I would talk to them about uh, a warranty replacement. Say, look, I've got no load on it except for the power coming in, and it's not reading enough voltage. Now, if it reads plenty of voltage without anything on, and that's and then you hook up your stuff and it drains it back down, then I would start looking at what is causing the drain. In other words... Um, it, it could be still the power supply can't handle that many amps or the load. Um, that's where I would talk to the manufacturer about that. But I would start unplugging one thing at a time, like the monitor or, or the game board and stuff. Uh, maybe even a coin light sometimes, a wrong bulb sometimes can do some damage and some drain some voltage down that you, you like you wouldn't believe. So I would look at what is causing the drain if that's the problem. Now, like I said, without a load, if it's reading that and you've tweaked it and that's as high as it goes, then yes, there's something internally wrong with your power supply. It shouldn't be that way. If you're asking about warranty, it's, if it's new, then it shouldn't be that way. Sounds good, Tim. So let me go ahead and put up the slide here. <coughs> and Tim, I, yeah, I put a, um AR board up there from Atari, yeah. Tim, just to give you an idea. So it really depends on what kind of power supply you have as to whether we recommend a rebuild or a replacement. If you have a classic or linear style power supply like the Atari AR board, Tim, or if you have a Williams game that has the separate breakout power supply, then we're going to lean more towards a rebuild. Rebuild kits are available for most classic power supplies, Tim. And that's the nice thing is that the rebuild kits are easy. Um, basically, you just replace part by part. There's no nothing complicated about right. them, and um, you can get them up and running pretty well. Rebuild kits fix 90% of I was gonna say, You know, one thing I was going to say about that, John, we probably have done 20 of these or more. And, yeah, maybe one time it didn't work. Right. It was like something was else that just isn't in the kit was wrong. Most of the time, everything's in the kit will fix. Because you do a shotgun approach and just replace everything. Um, have fixed all those issues. Exactly. Now, if you have a switching power supply, either a standard one, like the one we have here from Retro Arcade US, Tim, or if you have an ATX style, then we are going to recommend going with a replacement instead. You can rebuild these, Tim. I mean, there's it's nothing possible. saying you can't rebuild a switching power supply, but the replacements are readily available, and typically they're not very expensive, and you can get your game up and running super quick just by replacing it. And so, um, if you've got a switching style power supply, in most cases, we're just going to replace them. If we have a classic linear power supply, from a classic game, typically we will do a rebuild on it. And like Tim mentioned, if your power supply is under load and you're getting the drop voltage, that's one thing. But if it's not under a load and you're still getting low voltage, that is definitely a power supply issue. Right. No, no ifs, ands, or buts. If it's if it's um, low under load, there could be a short 
or there could be something else causing it to drain down. It could be, though, that you don't have enough amps. But typically, if the power supply that is in the game now was designed for that game, it's not going to be an amp issue. Yeah. Because they are going to put the right they're going to put the right power supply in that game for the for the amps required. Exactly. So just keep that in mind, Sandor. But uh, hopefully answers your question, and you know just let us know what you end up doing with yours. A warranty replacement may be in order, but check it on load, off load, see if there's a difference, see if you're still getting that power drain, and then of course if it's off load, then you can request a replacement. If not, you may need to check the wiring in your game, other parts of your game, see what's going on. So. Yeah, he didn't say what game, did he? He did not. And, uh, he did not indicate. Yeah, you know, I'm game. always thinking about redemption style games and stuff that might have a hopper or a card reader or something that could draw that voltage. Right. So that's what I'm talking about a lot of times. But in a classic game, you shouldn't be drawing much voltage other than uh, what that power supply is originally reading. Exactly. So Sandor hopefully answers your question and good luck with your repair. Tim, another question from Knights of Old. He says, what's a fair price per hour for a home tech visit to repair? And tips on identifying legit techs besides word of mouth online forums. So pricing wise, I mean, Tim, we don't charge by the hour typically. We charge a flat rate for troubleshooting. So, which usually covers our gas and time, right. what we think it's going to take. And then after that, we charge a flat rate for the repair, what we think the repair is actually going to cost. So, and I can give you an estimate. Sometimes it's more than that, but yeah. you know, we, we kinda, estimate, you know, it may vary by a little bit up or down when we give you right. that, but it's just... It's hard to say, depending on what area of the country you live in, for instance, where we live, minimum wage is seven twenty-five. Right. And, um, you know, that's probably, in California, it was like $15 an hour. Correct. So. That would definitely, if we would charge $25 an hour, you might charge 50 in another part of the state. So what is what are you comfortable with? I would more or less, um, obviously he's talking about getting somebody to come look at it. Right. That is going to be very hard to find. I don't know of a database right now. We've thought about in the past of doing one, but problem is, uh, you know, we live in the great state of Texas and probably in a five-county area. I doubt we could find anybody if sure. we had to. Right. Um, but... Our uh, closest, like, tech would be probably two hours away. All right. We had to what, one of the reasons why we learned how to fix games because we couldn't find anybody to do it. Exactly. And, um, and also had an interest in it. So, hopefully, um, you know, if you can find somebody with a... That's another hobby or collector. Y'all he says might it's in Seattle. Can work more. Seattle, you're going to definitely. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to guess, you know, if you can get somebody for 75, 80 bucks an hour, you'd probably be doing good. Mm-hmm. And to come to your house and troubleshoot it. Maybe, uh, I can tell people, everything's relative. Find out what are you good at. What do you, uh, maybe your wife is a great cook or you're a good cook or something. Man, Timmy, now it's 75 or so is what I've seen, but that gets way high. And that is correct. I mean, but you know. But it, I would say that would be a going rate for that area um, and not not really um, downplaying that. That's probably what I would charge if I lived in that area to do that work. That's what I'm basing on. Um, also, you know, there are things. Um, for instance, there was a guy that wanted a pinball game fixed here, and I knew that this was would be a tough one. And could I fix it? Yes, but I, I honestly recommended somebody else who charges more per hour. But I knew they could get in, they fixed it in a couple hours. What would have probably taken me five, and the guy actually ended up saving money by sure. going with them. And he was kind of shocked that I would recommend somebody else that costs more. But I'm like, this is why. Because he's better. This is his area of expertise. So, depending on the game, depending on what you got, um, some people, even though they charge 
I might can get in there in an hour in a game that I really knew and fix it in one hour, whereas another guy that only charges 40 took three hours and you end up saving. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, experience matters. Right, it so, really matters. So, <clears throat> fortunately, though, in Seattle, I know for a fact that there's a lot of collectors. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe even some of the barcade people. Uh, I would hit up and say, who do you guys use? Or if they um, have their own text. Right, or if they have their own text, maybe they would do it on the side. Uh, maybe there's something you could offer. Uh, maybe it's a barcade that has a tech. Uh, you could say, hey, man, look, I could come in here and I can do some cleaning or something <laughs> or organizing or something. I've always tell people there's, there's there's a will, there's a way, and there's even a cheap way if you're uh, maybe you're a house painter and you, or something, you know. <laughs> so um, the barter system often works good with uh, collectors and stuff. But I would um, just be wary that most people... Uh, you just don't have a ton of people that advertise, this is what I do, and I fix, but hopefully in a bigger city you might. Absolutely. So, Knights of Old, good luck trying to find someone. Now, as far as finding somebody not by word of mouth, I mean, really, word of mouth helps a lot in forums because those people, if they're on the forums or if they, if somebody's recommending them, then you, they're probably pretty decent. You could go with somebody you don't know, but, I mean, if you don't know them, then you really don't have much to go on as far as experience is concerned. And so, you know, even if you go with somebody you don't know, a good idea is to ask for references or people that they've done repair work for in the past to make sure that those people are still happy with the work that they did. Right. So, you know, I, I don't think, Tim, people... Um, we never had anybody ask us for references, but we could always give those out if somebody wanted them. You know? But if you're if you're kind of new to us, what you'll understand what we do a lot of times is the general troubleshooting. A lot of stuff like monitor chassis can be shipped off for repair, and That's we got right. a resource page. If you got a board issue, it can be sent off for repair, and we have a resource for that resource page for that. If you're having power supply issue, we teach you how to do that. So, you know, don't despair. I think that we can help you. And if you'll check out our videos and stuff, depending on what game and what specific problem you have, I think we can save you a lot of money and hopefully a lot of headache, too. Sounds good, Tim. I think we'll wrap it up right there. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, it, you know, it's just um, pricing varies. Just kind of sum it up as to, you know, part of the country and where you're at and experience of the tech. And then, like Tim mentioned, a lot of the resources we have can help you out. But uh, the forums and word of mouth are good ways to find people. And if you find someone you don't recognize from a forum or by word of mouth, references may help as well. So, Knights of, the, Knights of Old, hopefully that answers your question. Okay, Tim, let's move to James real quick. James says, hello, I'm new to arcade games. I am 48 years old. I've always wanted an arcade, but can never afford one. I got lucky and got not just one, but three. I have a Pole Position 2 and a Pole Position 1 cabinet, a Double Dragon, and a Phoenix. I'm working on them one at a time. I've got the Phoenix working somewhat. It has sound and shows the main screen. I can coin it up, but when I press the Player 1 Star button, it blinks and goes back to the startup screen. I'm pretty good with my hands and can fix things. I would love to fix it myself, but I figure I'll have to send it off. Thank you for any help you can give. James from Ohio County, Kentucky. Kentucky, right? Right. KY? Yep. Kentucky. So there we go. Now, uh, Tim, our good friends from Broken Token are also located in Kentucky. Yeah. So, uh, James, if you're looking for somebody in your area, I know Kentucky's semi-big, not as big as Texas, but I know right. it's semi-big, so they may be far away from you. But um, I would think that may they may be even within driving distance. Just depending. I mean, so. so, I mean, if you want to reach out to Brent and Whitney at Broken Token, it may be worth your time. But <coughs> with that said, Tim, I mean, what, me. what we're having here is um, we've got, um, uh, basically, he's got three games, but he's working on the Phoenix. And nice score, by the way. If you've never had always won a game, you get those three. It's a pretty good start. Absolutely. So, Welcome Tim, to the madness. 
his Phoenix works. It's got sound and everything, but when but he hits resets. the start, resets. And so this is very similar to the game elf problem, kind of that we were talking about right. earlier. Right, where we always ASAP, the ASAP approach always start at power, and that's exactly where I would start with this one and make sure you can check the voltage that you're getting the correct voltage from your power supply. And then it may need to be rebuilt or replaced. But again, that's what we took, kind of a theme. You ever find sometimes we have these themes of the night, you know, it's like <laughs> always start at power because those resetting issues a lot of times are indicative that you are not getting the right voltage. Exactly. And just the same stuff that we said in the game elf question earlier, Tim. Just make sure, check your power supply. Make sure that you're getting that plus 5 and that plus 12, Tim. Because um, Phoenix also uses plus 5 and plus 12 volts DC. So make sure you're getting that. Uh, and Tim, if you need help identifying where those are, you can send us a picture of the inside of your cabinet. We can help you identify where those are, James. But another thing to keep in mind here, Tim, is he may have good voltage and it may still be resetting. Yeah, and then... Tim, old boards like Phoenix... Um, have a lot of socketed chips and things like that. And we already talked about our inspecting an arcade board right. video and post. Tim, on Phoenix especially, it has the dreaded ribbon cables yes. that we see on like Tron and and boards like that. And Tim, it seems like those ribbon cables always give us trouble. Right. Well, they get very brittle and old. Uh, I say brittle, you know, when they're new, they're real flexible and nice. And then as they get old, they get kind of stiff. And there's tiny wires in there. Those can easily break or get uh, pinched and stuff. So, yes, replacing the ribbon cables a lot of times does a world of good on those if you can get them. Absolutely. So, let me go ahead and throw up the uh, the post here, Tim. From your description, it sounds like either a power supply or board issue of some type. We always recommend starting at power, like we mentioned before. Make sure that your Phoenix board is getting the correct voltage from your power supply. Plus 5 volts DC, plus 12 volts DC. Got to make sure those are right, James. If the voltage is good, but the game keeps resetting at the same point, uh, try some of the steps we discussed in our post on inspecting an arcade board, including <coughs> including reseating the socketed chips. It may also be a good idea to reseat or replace ribbon cables as well, as these are a weak point for many old boards. And Tim, um, on the socketed chips, just reseating them. So literally taking them out of place and putting them back in. But when you do that, you need to make super, super duper sure that all those pins... Come out right. straight and go back in straight. Mm-hmm. They need to do that because otherwise you could break a leg. And if you break a leg, the chip is no bueno. So right. <laughs> don't break legs. Um, but other than that, you know, I think, um, I think you know, as long as you're careful, you'll be okay. Tim, chip pullers, like we talk about in that video, are a must-have. Right. And Trying to do it with screwdrivers, you've got to be, you've got to be really careful. And the more expensive, and they're not expensive, but the, you know, they're really cheap ones are just not worth your money. Get a good one that's kind of, that look kind of like a, you know what I always think of? Um, you guys will laugh that know what I'm talking about. You ever see the Masonic Lodge emblem or something? That's yeah, like yeah, a yeah. compass. Uh-huh. I always think of chip, those are really nice chip pullers when I see one of those because <laughs> they have that triangle-like shape and they grab on. I always think, uh, you know, I'm like a mason or something when I'm pulling that. But anyway, so go. get a get a good chip puller will will save you a lot of trouble and time in that down the road absolutely so james again power supply and then let's inspect that arcade board reseat all the socketed chips clean it up a little bit like we were talking about maybe with simple green or with a brush or something like that like we talk about in inspecting an arcade board and then check the ribbon cables make sure they're good in place and replace them if needed and hopefully that will get your phoenix working 100 percent. please let us know if you continue to have issues we'll try to help you more in the future I see a big orange, big orange screen over there. And that means that we got some money. So YouTube Punk donated $10. Thank you, YouTube Punk. That is awesome. Thank you. Uh, You know, it says, did you know that you can mirror a screen and MAME on a single monitor? Fun fact. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) 
So thank you, YouTube Punk. We are always appreciative of those of you who donate during the show. And remember that if you would like to donate during the show, there's a big money dollar sign icon thing down there, Tim. If you click that and donate money to us, we will highly, highly appreciate it. All the money goes back into Arcade Repair Tips uh, and goes to fun things like uh, Tim's hairstyle and uh, other things. <laughs> of course, we've got a hat tonight. But, um, you know, it helps us uh, support us, and so we always want to thank you guys for supporting us, of course. So, um, let's see. Oh, he said, uh, YouTube Punk, just something I learned today from a friend building a main cocktail like Kev. Yes, you can. So, it's good stuff. Um, Okay, let's see what else. Okay, Tim, can we take a time out? Sure. Okay, um, we're going to take just a little time out here, just for a second. And uh, I'm going to go get, actually, I'm going to go get you something like a lozenge real quick. Okay. We're going to get Tim a lozenge, and we'll be right back. So, hold on tight, guys, just for a second. Um, If I had Jeopardy music, I'd play it right here. (laughs) We'll be right back. Thank you. Yes, I muted the mic. I did mute the mic, right? I think we did. You guys didn't hear any of that talk that we were talking about, right? Okay, good. Um, tonight's show is sponsored by Ricola, guys. So there we go. So thank you, Ricola. Sorry, Tim. Uh, that's part of being a live show right here. Exactly. You know, I mean, sometimes we have stuff that comes up. We don't feel good. The show must go on. Right. Right, Tim? So there you go. So thank you guys for bearing with us while well, I went and got Tim just a little lozenge for him. Mm-hmm. Hopefully hopefully that will help with your cough, Tim. He, he, I just saw over here, guys, his eyes were kind of watering. I don't yeah. know if you see it on the stream. <laughs> so I was like, we got to um, get you something. I can't I can't sit here and watch you be in pain. So uh-huh. hopefully that will help out. But uh, anyway, let us continue on with the questions real quick, Tim. And this one is from Orlando. Orlando says, my picture on my Wells Garner D4400, excuse me, Tim, uh, monitor does not reach the top even though vertical position is at max. It does not fold over or look squished. If I stretch it, the bottom goes beyond the screen. Any ideas what the cause may be? So, Tim, you can see here in the picture uh, that the little bar, that black bar at the very top of his screen. Uh-huh. And so what he's saying is he can't get it any further up. But it'll go down. But it'll go down past it. Okay. And so, um, now, Tim, obviously the D9400 is one of the digital CRT monitors that Wells Garner's had, like the D92, very similar model. But, uh, Tim, it is a newer style monitor. With that in mind, what do you think is going on here with Orlando's D94 monitor? Well, we're going to assume that he's already tried to adjust it. Right, I mean, it sounds like Because it will go down, but it won't go up. Uh, a lot of times, um, it's kind of like that middle, we call them jail bars or a middle line or something you Sometimes a cap kit will help, right? But sometimes if you move the game or something, your yoke can kind of get shifted a little bit, so right. you might have a little issue there. But I'm gonna go. It could even be that just your bezel has shifted. Sometimes right. I've worked on a monitors to realize that the actual bezel had, or not the bezel that you see of glass, but the black plastic shroud, piece. I guess the, the shroud. shroud has come down or something. So sometimes just moving that. Um, but if it is, you know, if you took all that away and you still see a big black line on top of your monitor screen and the bottom will fill out, a lot of times that's when you have to go in and do a cap kit in the vertical section 
to kind of fix that to where you can reach that area. Yeah, and Tim, uh, like you mentioned, uh, since this is a digital monitor, it has the on-screen display menu, and right. there are hidden menus in there, uh, and we always forget how to get to those, and but if like you talk that, to Wells, they know how to get to right, those. That so. pin, or do a Google search, I bet you can find it. There's like a pin cushion and trapezoid. Now, and those are on do. the main, and so that's what I was also going to say, is that he may need to adjust the geometry settings right. of his screen in order to get it up. So he may have to go up with like the trapezoid to make it fat at the top, and then adjust like the, exactly. the, the outer section. Sometimes you have to mess with the geometry settings a little bit more in order to get it to, to sink in like that. Um, there's a lot of different settings on that monitor, Tim, since it is digital. But unlike a lot of monitors, Tim, it does not have a lot of potentiometers on the board because it is digital. Right. And so you won't find a lot of those. But like Tim mentioned, cap kits. Even on digital monitors, guys, cap kits can help with this. Right. Okay. In fact, we've seen it on D9200. And Tim, I'm going to go ahead and throw this up here. So we're going to assume that based on your message, you've already messed with the vertical position and size on the on-screen display, like we mentioned. You might also reset it back to factory and then start from that point. Okay. So reset all of the geometry, all of the size settings. Just reset everything. There's a recall, Tim, I right. think, in that monitor. That's a good idea. That resets it all to factory and then see if you can dial it in from there. Now, like Tim mentioned, you may have to mess with the geometry settings in order to get it to fill up the whole screen as well. Now, Tim mentioned the yoke will sometimes drop in games. Typically, when we get a yoke drop, though, Tim, we get a convergence issue with that. Right. Right, because, I mean, you know, because if the yoke moves at all, a lot of times it messes with the convergence. Yeah, and your we don't, colors and all kinds of stuff Exactly. We're not seeing much of a convergence issue here, so it may, probably not a yoke issue. Possible, probably not. But it may not be a bad idea to see if you can push the yoke up a little bit. Because um, sometimes, Tim, those little, sh- you know, what people use to shim up the yoke, uh-huh. Sometimes when you move it, those shims will come loose yes. or come out. And so you may, if you can tilt that yoke at all up, it, just try to do it gently. If you can tilt it all up and it moves that picture, it could be the yoke, but probably not in this case. We've also had bezels, like Tim mentioned, or um, shrouds, probably a better way to say it, that have moved when we move the game. And so make sure the shroud is in the correct position on the monitor. It could be that you have it up too high. And right. so that's why it looks like you have space up there. If you move the shroud lower, you may be okay. But, Tim, like we said, bad caps in the vertical section can cause this. And, Tim, I linked to our friend Michael's page, ArcadeMonitor.com, where he has a D9200 that has a very similar problem. Guess what? Replaced about three caps in the vertical section. Back to new. Okay. So very possible that it could be a cap issue. Even with digital monitors, guys, caps play a big role. So um, with all that said, though, Orlando, try all of that and see where you get and keep us updated on your progress. Um, If we think of anything else, too, Tim, uh, we'll let you know. And, Tim, it's never a bad idea to reach out to Wells. Because mm-hmm. especially a monitor like the D92 and 9400 series, they're still supporting those monitors. There are so many of those monitors that are still out on route. And so if you if you have one of those, not a bad idea to re- reach out to Wells Garner support and then ask them if they've got any ideas as well. Ask them what the D stands for. It's always funny. Uh, oh, does it actually stand for something besides digital? I always thought it was just digital. No, what they what they will say, uh, it's a kid-friendly show. Oh, okay. We're not going to say it then. Okay. That's kind of like, dang it. Oh, okay, gotcha. I'll, I'll, um, I'll uh, keep That's that in mind. That's a Wells Garner joke. There you go. So, uh, Orlando, hopefully answers your question. And good luck getting that, that positioning on your D94 uh, back to a proper position. So... Okay, Tim, we have Knights of Old again. He says, why are original Bubble Bobble PCBs so expensive and rare? So many bootlegs? 
Um, you know, different boards, Tim, there was a time when there were a ton of cheap arcade boards. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Street Fighter uh-huh. 2s could be had for 30 and $50, and people are like, wow. Um, the problem, though, guys, is that was 10 to 15 years ago. Right. And in the ten, I would say in the 10 or 15 years since then, these boards have become rare and rare because, you know, boards have died off or cabinets have been junked or whatever the case may be. So a lot of boards that used to be really cheap, Tim, are now very expensive because demand has gone up and then the supply has gone down. Right. So it is supply and demand. So a game like, like um, uh, Bubble Bobble, um, you know, the demand for that game is pretty high because there's a lot of people who like that game. And again... Just like anything, Tim, just like any kind of market, it's supply and demand, right? right? So the less there are out there and the more people looking for them, the higher the price is going to be. And so, like I said, where Street Fire boards used to sell between $30 and $50, now you can't touch one for less than 150 Right. Because supply has gone down, demand has gone It's up. also part of what's the new classic, you know? Uh, I could have, guys will, will laugh when I say that I know where a Double Dragon is. I could have bought for $100. 10 or 15 years ago. Right, but now Double Dragon is a very solid side-after game. Right. And so, uh, at the time, I, I thought that was too much for right. it. Right. It was, needed a little work, and I thought, well, I'm not going to pay 100 bucks for that. Sure. So, I mean, it really depends. I, right now, Tim's right, the new classics. So a lot of guys my age, Tim, are now right. getting into arcade collecting, and as they're doing that, they're driving the prices up of the 90s games. Right. Whereas before, the 80s games always went higher than the classics, but now we see the price of 90s games going up. And with that... Um, you know, of course, you know, pricing gone up. Barcades have also caused prices to go up as well, Knights of Old. So because we have barcades now, they're buying up a lot of extra parts and supplies and cabinets and all that kind of stuff is causing it to go up as well. So, yeah, I wish I could I wish I could say um, things used to be as cheap as they used to be, Tim, but it seems right. like prices are always going up. So supply and demand, it is what it is. But, um, you know, hopefully you can still score a board for cheap. Look around on some forums and things. Ask around, Tim. There may be somebody just with one line around somewhere. You never know. Yeah. So. Okay, let's see what we got here. Okay, we're going to go ahead and do that. Okay, let's see. Delusional's here. Delusional's Arcade. You guys should check out his channel. Hey, Delusional, how's it going? Uh, Millster Electronics, he says, Good evening, uh, Arcade co- uh, CoinUp fans. Please support the live stream and make and make subscribe to this channel. Just comment, share, like, subscribe. Good luck, mm-hmm. everyone. Thank you for that. So we always like it when people promote us, Tim. Yes, always. So Thank there you. we go. Okay, Tim, let's see what else we got here. Do we have any more questions? Are we still going? One more, I think. No, we got, let's see. We got two more. Okay. okay, here we go. So, Tim, this one's from Tim. Okay. You didn't send a question to yourself, did you? I didn't. Okay, good. I different asked a Tim. lot of questions, and I have talked to myself a lot, but not this time. Okay, well, there we go. Well, this one is from a different Tim. And Tim says, Hi, I have an upright millipede that worked years ago. It sat in my shop for a while, and I stupidly plugged it in, which made a big <laughs> spark at the wall. Then I went through troubleshooting process and ended up replacing caps. Now I've got a solid 5.1 volts and verified the rest of the voltages work, but it was beeping, so I started replacing chips per the manual, but never got it fixed. Socketed and replaced most, but not all, the RAM or ROM, whichever the manual said. Yeah, the manual will actually give you which chips to replace based on the beeps, if you guys aren't familiar with Melopede. There was a line in the middle of the screen, and at one point a few garbage characters in the lower left, but not now. Fast forward to last weekend, I found a board that was tested out of a millipede, and I like how tested's in quotes there. Too. Right. <laughs> tested out of a millipede cocktail, I changed the dip switches to match my board, plugged it in, and now the one-player and two-player lights flash, but I still get nothing on the screen. When I press either, they stop blinking, but there's no beeping or noise sounds at all. The LED is left on the board, I turn up the brightness, but still nothing beyond a bright monitor with burn-in. So, Tim, he is getting the bright screen, though. Uh-huh. Something to note. 
Any ideas on next steps? Are there any books out there that detail the troubleshooting uh, for Atari or arcade machines like there are for Pinball? All of my other arcade games work with a modern cap kit and PCB cap kit, but Millipede is killing me, and it's the last non-working one I have now. Thanks. So, Tim, we have Tim with a Millipede. Okay. And it is giving him fits. It's right. Like he's had a lot of trouble with this. Um, you know, obviously it went from power supply, which it sounds like he's got okay. Then it went to a board issue, and then he tried to troubleshoot that board, didn't work. But a tested board, still not working. So where does that leave Tim here? What kind of things does Tim need to look at if he wants to continue in the troubleshooting process? Well, he talks a lot about the board and concentrating on the board. But what I'm be more concerned about with those lights flashing would be um, the big blue cap and also the the power supply board. And did he repair those? Has he checked the voltages? They have little test points on there. I would be checking the voltages there. I would suspect that it would be the power supply board more than the arcade game board, especially after putting a tested uh, one in there, right? And uh, I would be interested, uh, you know, wherever he got that one from, to put his in there and make sure that it, how it tests. But I would suspect that um, the power supply board or the big blue cap before a lot of that, the AR two board as we call it, right? So Tim, I'm going to go ahead and throw this up here now. Delusional says he's got. Um, tell Tim to sub to my channel. I just picked up a millipede with the same issues and plan on troubleshooting it. So okay. <laughs> check out Delusional's channel if you want um, some more millipede troubleshooting tips. But we're going to throw a couple out here for you tonight, Tim. It sounds like he's pretty far into the troubleshooting process, yeah. right? I mean, he did a lot of good troubleshooting here, Tim. A lot of great stuff. Uh, when you replace the caps, did you replace anything else? Uh, resistors, transistors, diodes on the AR2, because the AR2, Tim, is more than just caps. It's got a lot of diodes, transistors, and resistors as well. And so whenever we do a board like this, Tim, typically we rebuild it all. So all we right. buy the rebuild kit and we just install the rebuild kit. Um, just replacing the caps may get most of it working, but you may have other issues. just depends. Um, like we mentioned. So the whole rebuild, we also replace Big Blue, like you mentioned, Tim. Big Blue is very important. And, it, and a bad Big Blue can lead to a lot of issues. And so make sure that you replace your Big Blue as well. Be very careful. When you mm -hmm. replace Big Blue. Very right. careful. Okay, that's, that's what we're going to say. Also, make sure you're measuring the voltage at the game board. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, if you're measuring the 5.1 on the AR board, it could be dropping by the time it gets to the centipede, or the millipede board, excuse me. So make sure they're actually measuring the voltage at the board level. Okay? Because if you're getting a voltage drop of any kind, you can't tell if you're checking it at the AR2 board. So make sure you're actually checking it at the millipede board. Make sure it's getting exactly what it needs and that you're not having a voltage drop between the two. Now, Tim, like you mentioned, um, you didn't mention this, but you asked like what book would be great. Tim, there's a great book right. on troubleshooting Atari games called The Book by Atari, and you can get a PDF version at the link below. Tim, we also have that in the in the notes uh, in the show description below. And Louie also put it in the um, in the comment section there. Yeah, I want to so, say, if, if you guys, if you don't have a copy, at least a digital copy of this, you need to download that right now and keep a hold of that. A lot of people ask me, John, they say, um, back in the day, how did you learn to fix games? Because, um, you know, I started in about 1980 and uh, learning to fix games and stuff, we really didn't know. And Atari sent us a book and that's what it was. We didn't know it at the time, and a lot of people call it the Arcade Bible or whatever you want to call it, the Big Book by Atari. And we would—that's how I learned to solder and a lot of things because it had a lot of simple. And it's taught. It's not on a real high level, or 
You know, it's not like a MIT well, it textbook. Couldn't, it couldn't be because, because people didn't had no idea what they were talking about. Exactly. So it goes into detail and explains a lot of this stuff. So, guys, if you don't have that book, you need to get it now, and you need to download that. The book that. by Atari, you can get it at Text Files, and we have the link down below. And Louie also linked to our article that has a lot of arcade repair books that also has a link to it there as well. So make sure you have the book by Atari. Lots of great troubleshooting. I, uh, Tim um, likes to twist his wires when he solders. He twists them in, like, kind of, what's the way we, we call in it? In parallel. Yeah, in parallel, right. Yeah, and not... So, like this. Right, right, which is the way I'd always done it. I'd always like done this. them. Yeah, you do it. Yeah, I was about to say. Not like this. And I'd always done them up, like together, and twisted them together like this. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that you did them, you know, kind of like in a straight line, I was like, where'd you learn that? And I remember right. saying from the book. Because mm-hmm. the book actually teaches you that's the proper way to solder because it keeps the wires in line instead of having like a little kink in the wire. Not mm-hmm. that it matters, like per se, but it looks a whole lot prettier when you keep it right. in line like that. So, um, but uh, the book has a lot of great like tips and tricks in it and is a great resource for troubleshooting any kind of Atari games especially Tim in fact if you look in the Millipede manual guess what it says what, read the book? the book by Atari <laughs> it says it in it so That's make sure cool. you get the Millipede manual which has the schematic and everything in it but make sure you also get the book by Atari both those will help you but make sure that you're measuring the voltage again at the Millipede board not just at the AR board it makes a huge difference if you're getting low voltage when it gets to the board then you, you may have some other problems with your AR board. So hopefully that answers your question, Tim, and good luck troubleshooting that game further. Well, just a note, if you're going to print it, it is very thick. Yes, so it is. I would just download the digital you copy and print. Inch, the, you need the three yeah. to five inch binders if you're going to print Right, it. it's a lot of pages. So you can just download it and print off a page or two whenever you need it. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, if you have a tablet, Tim, an iPad or something yeah. like that, great cool. thing to keep on your on your tablet, so... Uh, let's see what else we have here. Um, YouTube Punk, have you guys ever been to Free Play Arcade? No, you know we haven't. Um, you know we haven't been to a lot of arcades, especially recently, like a lot of the ones that have opened up. Tim, I'm, I'm definitely familiar with Free Play Arcade, um, but we have not been there. So, um, but hopefully we get to go at some point. Sounds like a cool place. Uh, Super Nintendo Zach says that's my go-to place, so that's awesome. And uh, wish we had more arcade options in South Texas. Yeah, I wish we had more arcade options everywhere. You know, right, that'd be really too. great to see more. Uh, Michael says, my Williams Firepower taught me how to read and trace schematics like no class ever could. Yes, pinball machine schematics will definitely test you on that. Uh, Tim, I think we had a crash course in that from a Kiss pinball machine at one point. Yes. So, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, it's amazing, uh, guys, just uh, getting in there. You can kind of figure out if you do, I mean, even if you've never seen schematics before, the book goes over how to read schematics, by the way, mm-hmm. if you've never done it. But if you, it, but just looking at a schematic, you could kind of figure it out. Um, when I was in college, I took a digital systems class where we actually learned how to read schematics. But um, if you're not familiar with it, just getting in there, looking at the wiring and looking at the schematic, you can kind of figure out how things are supposed to go. So, I mean, but the book will help you with that as well. So, oh, that's what I call the Western Electric Splice. Extremely strong. So there you go. Um, But anyway, there we go. Tim, I think we're caught up with the live chat. So we are going to move on. And Tim, I do think this is the last question here, Tim. And um, this was something we actually covered back on episode two a little bit of the live show, which seems like it was forever ago, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah, but um, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to cover it here again. So, Tim, let me throw up Greg's question here. I'm looking for black laminate options, and in your video, you said to go to Home Depot and get some black laminate from there. I went there, and they had no idea what I was talking about. I'm sorry. I'm sorry they had no idea what you were talking about. Um, you know, hopefully, we'll get to that in a second. Also, is there a black vinyl wrap that is an option instead of laminate? And what is malamime? 
Okay. I, th- I think he means something Malamine. else, Tim. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think he means something else there, Tim. We'll get to that. That people talk about using. Can you send an Amazon or Home Depot link to the appropriate black laminate that you use or black vinyl wrap that you suggest? Thank you. So, Tim, back when we did that video, right. black Formica was in style. I guess right. you could say. But guess what is no longer in style? We have black Formica. Black Formica or black laminate. Any Formica. Or any Formica. Right. And when was the last time you saw kitchen cat counters in a new house with Formica? Like, it doesn't happen now. Right. People don't use it. Okay? It's my house. And, what? Your house. Yeah, exactly. House. Your house, maybe. But Formica's kind of gone out of style. Well, since it's out of style, guess what? Home Depot and Lowe's aren't carrying anymore. Laminate, no, they're not Formica. carrying very much. Exactly. But guess what? You, guess what? You can't get it from their website still. But in the after show, we're going to talk about an orange laminate. Oh, really? It was used in a particular show. Oh, okay. <laughs> Teaser. So there you go. Right. Stay tuned to the after show for that. But getting back to the question here, yes, you can still get the laminate, but you have to order it online. It still runs about 45 bucks a sheet, which okay. is about the price it was when we bought it in the store. The problem is now you have to ship it. Right. Or they, they may have a pickup in store option. They may have a pickup in store option for you. I've got a link for you here, Greg. We're going to show that here in a bit. On the vinyl wrap side, though, Tim, back in episode two of the live show, you had talked about a vinyl wrap that you had used on an arcade on an arcade game, and we're very, very happy with the yeah. results. You want to give us an we used of that? it uh, on the inside of a game, and I guess the question that we we're discussing would have worked on the outside, and I think so. Oh, Stuff yeah. was really good. In fact, I bought some more to do another game with, and it wasn't necessarily the inside where nobody could touch. It was down where people could touch it so not technically the outside but the inside outside like right here right i've got pictures we'll show where you this could be touched on another game mm-hmm. and so uh it held up great so i would highly recommend that and it's very inexpensive right very inexpensive yeah and hey, now and we'll talk about not which one super you wide but i think if you contact a company they probably could sell you or make you a wide and they have um, the one we're going to mention is the PC-500. I noticed they have like a PC-900, which is a little bit more expensive. So maybe it's a little thicker. I, I would call that company and say, what's the difference? And uh, see what they would say. I, be, I think they may even have some newer stuff that's a little tougher. Right. And then let's talk about um, Melamine for a second. Okay. Melamine, uh, Tim. It is a particle board that's been laminated. With Already a thermally exactly with a thermally infused paper resin coating, okay, which basically means you can get you can get melamine that is already black, kind of black laminated. Right, it looks like black laminate. It's over particle board or or, or PDF or something, but it's already on there. Correct. So, so you just cut out what you need. And no painting. It's already done. No, exactly. No, no gluing. messing with it. No gluing or anything like that. It makes it super. Now I would be easy. surprised if they don't still carry that. Right. Um, you can find store. it. The problem is, Tim. Most of the times when you find it, guess what color it is. Black. White. White. Okay. White. You don't. Black is hard to find. Our friend Joe used to have the hookup on that. Well, then you can make a Galaga and call it a rare white Galaga. There you go. Um, our friend Joe used to have a good hookup yes. on the black, and I don't know where he's getting it from. We may have to ask him, but um, he used to have a really good hookup with that. They do make it with the thermally infused black coating instead of the white, but it is harder to find. So if you're, but Tim, really only recommend that if you're going to go with a. Um, with a brand new cabinet. If you're well, building like, a cabinet from scratch. Let's say the, the cabinet that we built from, or RK1UP, a lot of those are already made like that, or right. from uh, Holland Computers, 
and the kit. They right. already are made like that. Correct. So. Yeah, exactly. Those are great examples of mel- melamine, Tim. Exactly. Um, but I don't know um, where to get sheets. You know, Holland Computers may be a great people to ask about that since they do sell so many cocktail cabinets. Yeah. That may be a good idea that we could ask... Uh, we can ask the guys yep. over there. Mm-hmm. So, but um, yeah, so that's what melamine is. Um, but it's really only good if you're building a cabinet from scratch, right? Um, or if you're replacing part of a cabinet. But I mean, if you're just laminating, or if you're just trying to either paint or wrap or laminate a a traditional cabinet, then melamine's not really helpful to you. You know, correct. So there you go. So let's go ahead and throw this up here, Tim. So unfortunately, laminate countertops are not as popular as they once were. So many hardware stores no longer stock these sheets. With that said, you can still order them from Home Depot. And Tim, guess what? Link. There's a link. There it is. And it's also down in the show description, so you can see it down there. Tim, as we know, Formica was pretty tough stuff. Now, what I linked to, Tim, was the cheap stuff. The cheaper version. Uh You can get the actual Formica brand, too. But the nice thing about using that laminate is that it's... Because it's a countertop laminate, it's tough. Mm-hmm. You see, so it takes a good beating. And, you know, um, Tim, with your Trons, a great example of the one we did, you can, that stuff is just so tough, you can beat it to death and it just never seems to, to scratch or scar up. Right. Because, like I said, it was made for countertops. And, Tim, I think they also put that extra coating on there, like a clear coat or something on top, that kind of gives it a little bit more protection as well. I don't know, but I know it's tough stuff. Yeah. So, um, but if you need it, there it is right there. Um, the vinyl wrap... Tim mentioned the Avery PC 500 signed vinyl, which they do sell in like a like a in sheets big enough to cover an arcade cabinet. Tim, okay. the one that you linked to though was like a 24 by right, like little, five yard. It was a little narrower. A little narrower for like an arcade cabinet, okay. but you can if you contact a signed place, you can get it in the bigger size. But okay. you have to contact somebody who sells it. But you can get it now. It's more expensive than the laminate. Okay, is going to be, but maybe not after shipping. <laughs> so, because after shipping, the laminate may be more expensive, depending. So, um, but uh, there you go. So, I mean, that's something to keep in mind. Um, but Tim, people have also had good luck with the 3M car wrap vinyl. I've uh-huh. seen projects that use that. And Tim, in fact, um, if you look at this uh, bottom left-hand corner, this um, the Killer Instinct down here from uh-huh. Solid-Orange.com, you'll see that he wrapped the front of that with the 3M car wrap vinyl. Nice. And it looks really nice. And uh, I'm going to show your wrap results here in a second. Okay. And then we already talked about Melamine Tim and what it is. So uh, there you go. Uh, Delusional says you can Google Nintendo laminate for Skyskipper Project. Apparently they had some for that as well, some laminate that they used. I don't know. Nice. But, um, there's a lot of different projects out there. People have used a lot of uh, laminate. Tim, we used, straight, we, we used to use just straight off the shelf basically for Mica. And yeah. for Mica is the name brand for the laminate guys. You know, it's kind of like you know, it's kind of like saying Kleenex, uh, exactly Kleenex or anything else. You know? so, um, what is it? Um, uh, I was thinking Sheetrock and uh, what's the the name brand stuff? I forget. But you know, stuff like that where you have a gypsum. name brand, yeah, exactly gypsum or whatever the case may be. So um, there you go. Oh, Whitney has great examples uh, of a Nintendo laminate. And again, Whitney from Broken Token, good friend of ours. If you guys want to see uh, some great uh, laminate examples, check that out as well. So now, Tim, here are your laminate results with the Avery PC five hundred signed vinyl. So this was, uh, what game was this, Tim? This was from episode two of the live show. Dog Pounder. Dog Pounder. So this is um, a game that takes a lot of beating, right? Mm-hmm. So what, is this, like, do balls bounce up Balls here? are down there, and you push the bone, and they pop up and try yes, to go okay. in the dog's mouth, and they yes. hit the side there, and... My so this side was... A-Tech tried to paint it, but it just did not come out very good. So this was the side that was, bef- like, did not have the vinyl application on it, right? Right. And then this is what it looked like after you put the vinyl on there. Yes. And it looks beautiful. I mean, golly, look at that. Mm-hmm. Now, 
I don't know if it's still holding up. I guess we'd have to yeah. go check it, Jesus. Yeah, as far well, as you know. I saw it not too long ago, and it was looking great. Okay. Sounds good. So uh, For several years. Yeah. Awesome. So, I mean, you know, that's the PC signed vinyl, the PC 500 signed vinyl that you used on that, mm-hmm. and it looks really good, as you can see. So, vinyl may be an option for you. Um, like, we've had the experience with the signed vinyl, but a lot of people have had experience with the car wrap vinyl. And had really good results with that, too. So it just really depends on what your preference is. I don't know if there's a cost difference between the two. Right. Um, as That's far as what I buy like $5 for a roll of yeah. 15 feet on Amazon. There you go. So, yeah, but I was about to say, that's only 24 by like 5 yard. Right. So, which would get your height, but maybe not get your width. Because mm-hmm. your cabinet may be, deep, right. may be deeper than 2 feet. And so if it is, you may have to go with the, um, <clears throat> you may have to go with uh, a little bit bigger piece, which you can get from sign shops a lot of times is what they were saying to. But the laminate sheets that I had were 4 foot by 8 foot, which were the exact same size that we use in our video. And so you can you can use that. And like I said, it's forty dollars a sheet, forty five dollars a sheet. So I mean, it's pretty cheap. You can do two. You can do a cabinet for ninety bucks, and that what we used to say both yep. sides. And so um, we've used a lot, had really good results with it. Um, but delusional saying that Whitney has some some uh, laminating tips as well uh, that he did for Skyskipper. So if you want to check that out, <clears throat> highly recommend. Anything that Whitney does, I'm sure is good. Yes, but we'll put a stamp of approval on that. So. Now, Tim, that was your tech tip from Live Show Episode 2, so I thought that'd be a really good time to move into our tech tip for this month, so let's go ahead and throw that up here real quick. Well, this month we want to talk about what's the difference between a slow blow and a fast blow fuse. Some of you probably know this right off the bat, but maybe you don't really know what the specific differences are. Uh, Slow blow fuses uh, are often thicker lined in the middle. Uh, you'll see, uh, it'll say like a 5 amp and it'll be a slow blow. They can withstand transient pulse currents like the surge current that happens when you power game on and off. Because of this function, slow blow fuses are often called time delay fuses. You'll see that term sometimes. Fast blow fuses cannot withstand transient pulse currents and must be used in purely resistive circuits with a few to no surges like circuits on boards where ICs and other sensitive components need to be protected. So like on your um, on a board, you might find a fast blow fuse, but let's say coming into your game, you might have a slow blow fuse, or you might have a Miss Pac-Man have every fuse known to man. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, all in one game. Exactly. Uh, and can cause all kinds of problems. So... Knowing the difference and where you need it. The, one of the main things that when we talk about fuses is to make sure that you're using the correct fuse. We've all been inside a game and looked and saw where either somebody put uh, Wrigley's chewing gum or they just jumpered aluminum it. Foil. That's Yeah, aluminum foil. That's not a good idea to wrap a fuse in a foil. Get the right fuse. Find out what it's supposed to be. Uh, you know, a lot of times when we'd go to auction, you'd see a game that was off, and the auctioneer would laugh, say, it was probably just a fuse. Well, you want fuses to blow because that indicates something is wrong, and it will save a lot of problems. A $2 fuse okay. is a lot cheaper to replace than, say, a $200 monitor or a three or $400 board. So uh, when a fuse blows now, I don't just go, oh, great, it's just a fuse blow. I want to go, what caused the fuse to blow? I'm looking at where. Now, I have had fuses blow, turn around, pop the new fuse in, bam, work for years. Uh, most of the time, though, if one blows, the next one will blow. And sometimes we've even used a handful of fuses just to troubleshoot to see where the problem is. So 
knowing having the right kind of fuse and the right amp of the fuse is very important. Now, Tim, and we'll go back over this again. I'll throw up the slide. <clears throat> Basically, slow blow fuses are a lot of times what you find in the bottom of your game if you're looking at your power supply because they are made to withstand a little bit of current. So if you're in like... Coming from the wall, for instance, you're going to have some up and downs. It's not always 120. It may jump up a little bit. may jump down a little bit. The slow blow fuses are made to take a little bit of variation. Right. A little bit of variation. Whereas a fast blow, it doesn't take hardly any variation in current. And so as soon as there's a change, even a minor change in, in the voltage, then all of a sudden it trips it pretty quick. And so that's, I mean, that's really different to me when I look at it like that. So Yeah, and it's probably because it's protecting something like your game board or something sensitive that you don't want those power surges to get to either. Exactly. So, well, Tim, is there anything else? About I think that pretty much covers it. Just make sure that you're using the right kind of fuse and the right amperage of fuse every time you replace one. It really does matter. Sounds good. So, thank you, Tim, for that tech tip. As always, um, I see Super Nintendo Zach is heading out. Thank you for being here for at least this part of the live show, and hopefully you can check it the recording here in a bit. Now, Tim, I think that wraps it up for all of our questions and everything. So, we have a couple of stories to cover. And, Tim, this next one has been probably the most popular, and it's the back and forth between Bandai Namco and At Games. Have you been keeping track with this at all? I have uh, read the articles and even some subsequent articles that uh, pertain to that. So um, basically what happened is Bandai Namco sued at games on the grounds of false advertising and unfair competition as well as copyright infringement under U.S. California California law concerning a Miss Pac-Man mini cabinet. There right. it is. You see it? Um, at Games then released a statement that they had acquired a royalty interest in Miss Pac-Man from General Computer Corporation. So basically any time that Namco sells... Because Namco has the license to produce, distribute, and and license out the Miss Pac-Man rights. But anytime somebody makes a Miss Pac-Man product, before General Computing Company was getting the money, okay? But now At Games is getting some money. For okay. That, okay? And so basically there's this little back and forth going back and, you know, between these two companies saying, oh, you know, well... Um, this is not new. This has been going on since like 83. <laughs> well, in, in a way. In a I way, mean, yeah. General Community Corporation has had this royalty interest <coughs> for a while, but it's just now that At Games has come in basically and said, okay, we're going to... Um, we bought a ro- we bought an interest in the royalties. Right. We are going to now get a, a cut right. of whatever Miss Pac-Man sells. And so, General Computer said we could do it. Exactly. Well, General, <laughs> like, they struck like, some sort of deal. I don't right. know how much they paid. But, you know, these guys have been getting probably just these royalties kind of just creeping in. And Ad Games probably came up and said, how would you like us to just write you a big fat check? Right. And then they can pay us. And, and these guys went sold, right? Pretty right interesting. So, Tim, I was thinking here, I mean, it's very interesting, but I was thinking maybe for the arcade debate segment tonight, we would talk about whether or not we thought Ad Games has the right to produce Miss Pac-Man products based on their deal with General Computing Corporation. Okay, so does Ad Games have the right to produce Miss Pac-Man products Based on their deal with General Computing Corporation. Now, I should say, do you think? Because we're not lawyers. Right. And so we, right. we don't know necessarily. Excuse me. We don't know necessarily if they do or do not. But, Tim, I thought before we did our debate tonight that we may do a little, maybe a new segment. Okay. That I like to call Arcade Repair Tips Theater. Okay. What do you think? I think it's a great idea. Okay, so I'm going to put this. I'm going to. Uh-oh, hang on. Okay, I'm going to put this back up here real quick. we got to get in our costumes. That's right. So we're going to do Arcade Repair Tips Theater real quick. So, 
Okay. Okay, are we here? Are we good? I'm here. Okay. Boom. Okay, here we go. Okay, so um, tonight's... So you have to get like... I don't know. You have to get into character. Okay. I don't know if you've got a character. But um, I, we have our characters... Um, but when I say begin scene, we'll begin the scene. Okay. So do, do you need to do you need to do any kind of um, thespian exercises or anything like do that? Do I have or? to speak Japanese or I can just... Uh, I, no, <laughs> <laughs> you can have English. I think we're good with English. Okay. So here we go, guys. This is the... We're going to do a segment um, called Arcade Repair Tips Theater. Tim, um, we're going to take a little break and you start whenever you're ready. All right. Hello, I'm Bandai Namco, and I have the exclusive rights to produce, distribute, and license Ms. Pac-Man products. Well, I am at Games, and I license games from right holders, like you, uh, to make different products such as flashback consoles. Check out this cool mini Ms. Pac-Man that I made. Don't you like it? Look at this thing. It's awesome. What do you think? What? I didn't give you the license to that. Here's a lawsuit. A lawsuit? Yeah. Well, guess what, Ban- guess what, Bandai Namco? I reached an agreement with General Computing Corporation, and I get a cut of every some of the royalties whenever a Miss Pac-Man thing is produced, whatever it is. And so now you have to pay me anytime you let someone use the license. So in your face! I'm pretty sure the royalty deal doesn't matter when it comes to licensing. Whatever, I'll see you in court. Okay, was that it? That's it. Did we do it? Is that good? That's all. Okay, we're good. Okay, there you go. So that is tonight's Arcade <laughs> Repair Tips Theater. So hope, now I'm going to keep this on. You gotta okay. Keep it well, I'll be well, at well. games for the rest of the night, and you can be Bandai Namco. And we can argue this here in well, a second. Well, from, uh, so, from Atari to... There you go. So, guys, obviously this has been a point of contention. So, Tim, let us go into the arcade debate here. Can at games, me, produce Miss Pac-Man products based on the deal that they have? So, Tim... Which side are you going to take? Are you well, going to take... I guess I'll take the <laughs> Namco sign since you I'm wearing there. To, right? Yeah, so, I'll take the Namco sign. Exactly. So Quit I will take the Ad Games sign, Tim. So, do you think that Ad Games can produce Miss Pac-Man products based on their deal with General Computing Corporation? No, that has nothing to do with licensing. That's a royalty deal. If you make some money off of them, which I hope you don't, that you should still not be able to do the license deal. Here's part of the problem. If you'll read the article, what it talks about is you showed this great-looking cabinet that played the original arcade game ROMs, but what you sent out was some Nintendo version of it that didn't play right. It ruined our, it made us look bad. It made you look bad, and we want you to quit. Well, here's the deal, though. You gave me the rights to do Pac-Man products, and so I made a Pac-Man product. It may not have been the same one I sent you, but I still made a Pac-Man product based on the license that you gave me. So I think that one is fair. The Miss Pac-Man license, look, you're having to pay me anyway when you license this out, so why don't we just work out something to where I can produce things myself? I don't think that's much of a problem. I mean, you know, I'm getting paid anyway. I think that I should have the right to produce whatever I want based on the fact that I already get paid per Miss Pac-Man license. Well, I don't have anything else to do 
but sit around and talk about a 20-year-old license. So, And I'm going <laughs> to stick to my guns. I'm not going to make anything new because I, this has been my milking cow forever. <laughs> and now you're coming over and stealing part of my milk, and I'm going to see you in court. You still make Pac-Man games or Tekken 7 or 8 or whatever number <laughs> we're on now. Um, you still make games, but um, obviously all I'm doing is licensing the game. And in this particular case, I think since I'm getting paid anyway when you sell off Miss Pac-Man stuff, then, you know, I should be able to make stuff too. And I think that's really what myself at games or what you want to say is, is debating here is the fact that since you're having to pay me anyway, why not just work out some sort of licensing deal and that way, like, maybe I can make Miss Pac-Man products and you don't have to pay me. How about we do that? Does that well, work? you made a mini little scrub cabinet. <laughs> not a real cabinet. Hang on, hang on. Where's my scrub cabinet? <laughs> it's tiny. And I think that part of the problem is it, it we're, so we're trying to protect our brand. We're trying to protect our, our copyright and that it looks good and it plays like the original because we want people to like games and to keep playing the original game and us to keep making money on those games. Well, here's the deal, though. You didn't come up with Miss Pac-Man. That's why you're still paying royalties to GCC, General Computing Corporations, because they came up with Miss Pac-Man, and now I own those royalties, so I, therefore, should be able to make Miss Pac-Man cabinets. But what do you guys say? I think we'll end it there. Do you want a last word, Bandai Namco, Tim? No, those guys have been milking that royalty forever, too. We will take that while we're at it. <laughs> there you go. So what do you guys think as far as the lawsuit is concerned? Do you think Act Games should be able to produce Miss Pac-Man products based on their deal with General Computing Corporation? Let us know in the comments or in the live chat. Or if you're watching this on Facebook, let us know in the comments section or reply it to us on Twitter. Thank you for joining us for a little bit of Arcade or Peertips Theater and Arcade Debate tonight. And we look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, there we go. Are you going to wear your um, Bandai Namco like oh, sure. for the rest of the night? I might wear it to work tomorrow. There you go. Yeah, it, look, You covered like the Atari like perfectly. <laughs> I know. Right? You made an Atari shirt, a Bandai, a Bandai Namco shirt like just like that. Now I'm going to have to pay them the royalties for wearing See, this got, shirt and making them popular again. I was about to say, I got to like, I'm trying to cover up the logo. This long, mine's an extra life logo. If okay. I do it like that, is that better? Okay, but um, What's that's... What's the chat saying? Okay, let's see what we got here. Um, um, thought... Valley Midway distributed Pac-Man in America. What is wrong? Does that agreement mix in there? So, I mean, Valley Midway are gone, right? Yeah. Like, they're out of business technically. And I think all of those rights reverted back to Namco Bandai or Bandai Namco or whatever it is. So, they Bandai Namco definitely has the rights to produce and license and distribute Miss Pac-Man. If you guys don't know the story, it's a really cool story about general computing. Right. Because that was some guys, I believe they were at MIT yeah. in the college dorm, and they basically took the Pac-Man and made it into Miss Pac-Man, and uh, they were just kind of having fun with it, and then they produced it, and, they were, and Namco was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Let's, you know, And so they have been getting money all these years for that, I assume. And But that's kind of cool. I, At Games just went around them and said, okay, that's right. <laughs> you won't deal with us. And what's weird is um, Bandai and At Games have been working together on other stuff for years. Sure. Years. I mean, they licensed and, out for the, like, even the recent... A Pac-Man flashback console. Right. The flashback blast. But if you'll read the article, one of the things that they did seem upset about was the quality. In fact, they pitched one to Sony, and Sony scrubbed it and made their own. Right. And said, no, it's not very good. Right. So, uh, in other words, you know, it can't be cheap. I think that part of it was, don't cheapen our brand. And I think that, I don't know if that was all, and I think they were really upset that they kind of went on the back door on them. Yes. But kudos to Act Games for even try, attempting that. It was very smart on their behalf. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out in court. 
And, of course, we'll keep following it and let you guys know. And it could really go either way. I don't know. I can kind of see a little bit of both sides to it. If we have any copyright attorneys out there that want to chime mm-hmm. in on this, please let us know. Because, I mean, I think those guys would have a better a better understanding of it. But the thing about it is, is that even if Nam... I've noticed, and you probably noticed this too, Tim, over maybe the last like five or two years maybe, we haven't seen as many Miss Pac-Man products out. And I think it's because Namco realizes that, yes, they have the license to it, but if they put it out there, they have to pay General Computing Corporation every time they use it. Probably so. And so it's cheaper for them to license Pac-Man, and people don't usually have too many... They don't know the differences between Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man enough to notice the difference. Right. And so, like, to most people, Pac-Man is fine. Miss um, Pac-Man is great, too, but it's like if Pac-Man's there, I don't need Miss Pac-Man, right? right? And so Namco gets to keep, or Bandai Namco gets to keep 100% of the royalties from Pac-Man, but they have to share the royalties with General Computing Corporation any time they license out Miss Pac-Man. So something to keep in mind. Hopefully everybody liked our little theater. I, I came up with that today, and I texted <laughs> it to Tim, and, he's, and he had no idea what the vision was until we got here. And, right. and I think he kind of got it. But uh, we had a lot of fun with that. I'm going to take <laughs> off my ad games. Um, just because I don't want mm-hmm. people telling me I make bad stuff. You so, saw it here um, first, the first you, annual. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Arcade Repair Theater. Theater. There we go. So <laughs> I thought we, I thought it was very fun. Yeah, you know, um, and uh, you know, just having some fun. That's what we like to do right. around here. You're gonna keep your Bandai Namco on. I like it. Uh, it matches know. good. It does match good. It goes right over your logo. I didn't mm, do no. that at all. So anyway, so let us know what you think about that as we continue on here. Now, Tim, um, I believe uh, YouTube Punk asked us if we were going to be covering this next topic. Mm-hmm. And I said the Magic 8-Ball said it is certain. And right. here it is. Um, former Donkey Kong champ threatens to sue Guinness over record removal. Billy Mitchell has sent Twin Galaxy scoreboard a 156-page evidence package in an attempt to prove his innocence. Mitchell is threatening legal recourse against Twin Galaxies and Guinness World Records if they don't retract the deficit defamatory statements against him and reinstate his expunged video game high score world records within the next two weeks now tim that was um that's been more than two weeks ago i believe now so i don't know if billy mitchell went through with his threat or if twin Mm -hmm. galaxies has followed up with anything on that but i have a feeling twin galaxies basically said heck no and sue us if i had to if i had to guess um as we know guys anybody can sue anyone for anything okay but that doesn't necessarily mean you have a case now, correct okay. me if I'm wrong, though. He sent a 156-page um, evidence package. Isn't there 156 screens on Pac-Man? I don't know. Is there? Our, our, Somebody check. Fact uh, check that one, Louie. There you go. How many? And Twin Galaxy said to get lost, and that's exactly what I would yeah. think they should do. Because here's the deal. I mean, they made a decision. I think they should stick with the decision. You know what I'm so. saying? Now, here's the deal. Billy Mitchell has proved that he can get these scores live. Right. And if he can go back and get these scores redo live it. and redo them, then by all means do it. But should he reinstate, or should they reinstate scores that they've already found invalid? I don't know. When I beat you on a main game, I count it. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think so. I think that Doesn't if he happen. wants to prove that he can get those scores again in a live, you know, in a live setting with people watching. Yeah, it seems like there could be a, a medium here, an uh, intervention, you know, it's kind of like a mediator. They say, "Well, just do it again on a dedicated machine somewhere." And oh, we'll uh, put Luke says two hundred fifty-six. Two hundred fifty-six. So, okay, little, little so a hundred off. So yeah, hundred. He's still a hundred pages short, in my opinion. <laughs> two fifty-six. But oh, obviously, okay. they've already found a lot of these scores to be invalid because he was using Mame. Basically, I mean, there's a lot of proof out there. And so, look, Billy, if you want to redo these scores, I think that's great. You know, I mean, and do them in a live setting. Uh, you have all day to submit other scores as long as they're live. But 
to reinstate the scores that they already found invalid, I think is going overboard. Me too. So there you go. <clears throat> so um, before we go on here, Tim, kind of shift it, shifting gears, Joe DeLong says, do you think guys are going to, or do you guys going to review the new arcade one-up Star Wars cabinet that's coming out later this month? It's kind of pricey, Tim. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I think, was it four or 500 for that? And unfortunately, we don't have a hookup at arcade one-up to send <laughs> us one for free. So um, it's probably out of the realm possibility unless Tim wants to put up some money. Now, if you would like to donate that money for us to get one, um, we'd be happy Maybe to Maybe this wants us to do a review after we see it. We will. Yeah, we'll, we'll see it at that. some point. There'll be one around. And so when we do, we will give you our opinion on it. But right now, we don't have any plans on purchasing one. We're not being sent one for review. And we don't have the money to purchase one. Uh, so it'll be a while, I would say. <clears throat> but, you know, so here's the thing, though. All the arcade one-up products that we've we played... For the price, they're very good, yeah. and uh, I don't expect the um, I don't expect Star Wars to be any different. I think it's a quarter of the price of an actual cabinet, which tells you something right there. I mean, you can't expect it to be exactly like the arcade, you know, but it's going to play close enough that most people are going to be fine with it. All right, and that's so, what it comes down to. It's a little Caesars of of uh, it's a little Caesars of the arcade world. You exactly. know, it's not <laughs> the best pizza in the world, but it's five bucks. Exactly. What are you going to eat for five bucks? Exactly. It's, they've all been a, exactly. <laughs> they've all been a very good deal, and so I expect it'll be the quality will be decent. You know, it'll be obviously with the riser, it should be at a good height. And I mean, I think you're if you enjoy that game, you're going to get a lot of play out of it. And I'm sure it'll play fine. But um, but again, it's is it authentic? No. But if you just want to play the game, I think it'll be a, a fine experience. So, but we'll see. We'll see. Moving on here, Tim. Okay, so Stern announced. They had previously announced this. We right. already knew it was going to happen. Right. And they took it down. Right. They brought it back. Well, oh. but even back at like Pinball Festival like a year or two ago, yeah. we knew that they were making it, but right. we finally got the pictures of Elvira House of Horrors. And you can go to IGN and see all the high resolution pictures and everything. And Tim, you know this is done by Greg Ferreris and, and Dennis Nordman and the same guys who did the other two. Right. Which is really cool. Yeah. And, you know, it, it incorporates a lot of uh, campy movies into it, which is nice. Mm-hmm. There's no pro model. It's only going to have a premium, a limited edition, and a signature. So um, you're going to have to jump up to premium if you want it. Tim, it looks, the artwork looks great. It looks like it's fun. It does have a pretty open play field, which is I've never been a fan of. I like a lot of close stuff to hit for people who may be beginners at pinball. It's easier to hit the close stuff. So, But I think for people who like Elvira and like pinball, it's going to be a great game. And I, I look forward to playing it. Um, Tim, I like a lot of Dennis Norman games. I like so. Cassandra Peterson. No relation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, but, um, Got I to think... meet her at Pinball Fest. Um, pretty neat. Um, I think it'll be a fun game. Looks yeah. A lot of toys. Exactly. So I think it's going to be really fun. So um, you know, I, I look forward to playing it. Hopefully we'll get a chance to play it. Um, I don't know if we're going to make it down to Houston this year. I've been, I've been trying to decide. You know, It's in November. Um, we have a lot of things going on, so we may not be able to make it down, but I bet I wouldn't be surprised if they have a couple down there to play. So if you're looking to play, you could do that or visit a local distributor. They'll have one on the floor soon enough. Awesome. But check out the pictures. It looks really good, Tim. I mean, and you know, I know a lot of people were kind of knocking it that didn't have like a whole bunch of toys or something on it, but the toys don't mean much to me as long as it plays well. And it looks like, it looks like it looks like it's going to play really, really fun. So we'll see. And then, Tim, kind of in some sad news here, uh, Suncoast Arcade and Pinball Falls for Chapter 11 Bankruptcy Protection. Now, Tim, this doesn't mean that they're going out of business immediately. Right. Basically, it means that they can't cover their bills or they're having problems with it, which means they can reorganize. But it's never a good sign when you see a Chapter 11. 
You know okay. what I'm saying? That usually means that there may be some other things going on. So Suncoast Arcade Inc., the sister company of Suncoast Pinball, files for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection following a summons for unpaid rent on two industrial units at Occupy. Suncoast Pinball was set up as an offshoot of the arcade division to design and build full-size arcade pinball machines. Their first title was going to be Cosmic Carnival, which featured highly stylized artwork by Dirty Donnie. Giles and so are Gillies or however you say it. oh wait I'm never good at that I guess Gillies yeah there you go so I mean the Giles. artwork on that game looked incredible I never got to play it Tim I know that Fun and Mesquite Texas had one mm-hmm. um, and I think they're trying to sell it now but um, I've ne- I never played it I walked by one it looked pretty um, I don't know how it played but it's always sad to hear that a pinball machine company is going out of business Agreed. so it doesn't matter who it is um, but this doesn't necessarily mean they're going out of business it just means that there's some trouble ahead for them so, um, again, uh, just a news story here, Tim. They may be able to reorganize all their debt and be able to pay everything and be fine, but it's never a good sign when you're starting that kind of process. Why? So, just something to keep in mind. Um, YouTube Bunk says, I wonder how many people have gotten into the hobby because of the one-up arcades. Is it a gateway drug? I think it is. But, you know, what I've seen is that people make arcades out of arcade one-ups. Like, mm-hmm. they'll make their, they have their little arcade room just like I have my big arcade room. They have their arcade room with all arcade one-ups in it. And mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, because, I mean, it's still an arcade in a way. You can still come and play the games and everything. And so if you want to do that, if arcade one-ups your thing, man, you do your thing. I like having the full-size ones, but I definitely see the appeal of the arcade one-ups for sure. So, and I, me and Tim have said that several times. <clears throat> So, uh, let's see. Oh, Ernest says, we've or- we already sold it, guys. So, I guess they already sold the, the um, Cosmic Carnival. Oh, okay. Uh, there you go. So, I mean, so much for uh, playing it. But um, I think there's only like seven of them that were made. Wow. Eight of them. There's not many of them. So, maybe a piece of pinball history. They're going up in value. <laughs> now, Tim, before we wrap it up here, I wanted to throw a shout-out to somebody who threw us a shout-out. Okay. Is that okay? Sure. Do you know Zach at yeah. Retro Mansion? So. Tim, I was just, you know, I was scrolling down my Facebook feed and I saw Zach was playing something on his page and guess Mm -hmm. who he shouted out to? He shouted out to us, yeah. To us! Which is pretty awesome. So we want to thank him for promoting us on his stream. That's always awesome. And we want to make sure that you check out Zach's stream at facebook.com slash retromansion. Tim, he plays all sorts of cool games and he plays, um, you know, he streams them live Uh and a lot of times he plays with other um, guys and everything like that. I like to join in and watch sometimes. (laughs) Exactly. So, I mean, it's really, it's really cool. Um, Video game streamers who play games live, I think is a really cool thing to him. It's kind of like we're all sitting in a big living room together yeah. and watching, you know, you know, just kind of playing together. So I think it's a cool, like, things like Twitch are just so much fun because it's more than just watching. There's an interactive experience that kind of goes along yeah. with it. Zach's like cutie pie for old people. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So... Um, he's really... He'll always say hi to me when he when I'm in there and he... I like how he stays focused and talks and does all that. It's pretty cool. There you go. So you guys check out his stream. Thank you for promoting us, Zach. And we're going to promote you because you did. So, I mean, that's always how it goes. So thank you for that. Now, Tim, let's go ahead and move to our uh, our little reminder here. We want to remind you that if you have arcade-related videos and you want some free advertising for your channel, we're looking for people to submit short videos, 10 minutes or less, about arcade-related topics. Send a link to questions at arcaderepairtips.com, and our staff will review it. If we like it, we'll use it during one of our live show episodes. Make sure you put a plug-in for your channel so people will know where to find you. We look forward to seeing your submissions. Tim, we haven't had any submissions in a while, but we're always looking for um, channels to promote. And the reason why, Tim, is that it's hard to get monetized now. It used to yeah. be really easy to get monetized, but um, YouTube upped the requirements for getting monetized. And so we want to help as many arcade-related channels as possible get to the monetization mark to mm-hmm. where you can actually make some money off your videos. So if you need help doing that or if you just want to gain subscribers and followers to your channel, send us over a link to one of your videos. And if we like it, we'll use it on one of the live shows. 
And then, Tim, we have our contact information. We have our email address at questions at arcaderepairtips.com, questions at arcaderepairtips.com. Put live sh show in the subject, and I'll get mentioned on the show. Again, that's questions at arcaderepairtips.com. And, Tim, you can send questions about anything there. You know, yep. um, I don't know, arcade-related, uh, general questions, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if woodchuck could chuck wood, whatever you want to send, you can send to us, and we'll try to answer them to the best of our ability. Our YouTube page, which you are on right now if you're watching this on YouTube, or if you're listening, maybe you're listening to this and you'd like to check out the live video from this episode, make sure you go to youtube.arcaderepairtips.com. And Tim, we try to cover the comments from the last live show on the next episode. So now, Tim, we should also mention that if you're listening to this on the podcast and you want to see the after show, mm -hmm. that you want to go to YouTube as well, because the YouTube video will have the after show on it as well. So again, youtube.arcaderepairtips.com. Then we have our podcast email at podcast at arcaderepairtips.com. And we have Eric and Rusty who host that. Now, Tim, I talked to Eric recently and they're still planning to do episodes, but you know, there's a lot That's of work that goes, busy. <laughs> I was about to say, there's a lot of work that goes into opening our own yeah, arcade. They opened a second game preserve in Houston and him and Rusty are kind of over that location. And so they are busy doing that, but hopefully at some point they'll get back around to the podcast. And it when you do, you, yeah, when you do. Uh, they will uh, answer your questions if you send them to podcast at arcaderepairtips.com. And you can subscribe to the podcast at itunes.arcaderepairtips.com or stitcher.arcaderepairtips.com for Stitcher. Tim, we're also on Spotify. If you do a search for Arcade Repair Tips on Spotify, you'll find us there. And Tim, I'm a huge Spotify fan, love Spotify. So if that's your podcast app of choice, we are on Spotify now. And then we have our social media pages. We have our Facebook page at facebook.arcaderepairtips.com. And we have our Twitter feed at twitter.arcaderepairtips.com. Tim, we want to we thank Louie for being in the live chat tonight. But we also want to thank him for posting all that great stuff in there. Yeah. Okay, he, uh, he really does a good job with that. And uh, we want to thank Mark as well, who yeah. posts a lot of the videos and, uh, and information about Elvira uh -huh. on there. So all that stuff you saw about Elvira, Mark was keeping up with. So we want to thank Mark for all of his work on that. But if you want to sign up and uh, and get all of the news, all of the, all of the arcade-related news, sometimes good, sometimes bad, Tim, make sure you check out our social media pages of facebook.arcaderepairtips.com and twitter.arcaderepairtips.com uh, for, for more information. Well, Tim, I think that about does it for the regular the regular part of the podcast. We're about to move into the after show, guys. And if this is your first time watching us, the after show is basically where any... Any topic right. goes. No topics are off limits. And Tim already teased some fair talk earlier right. in the after show. You also teased something about orange laminate? Yes. Okay, in the after show. Um, Tim, we do not put the after show on the podcast feed just because we like to keep the podcast feed kind of arcade related. So if you're listening to this again on the podcast feed, you'll want to check out the YouTube video if you want to listen to the after show. Tim, is there any other things you want to tease in the after show well football season is now in full swing we can kind of tell what teams are looking good and some that aren't looking so good there you go and where we're at so that. some football some uh some different sports topics for sure um just general maybe halloween plans coming up and things like that so and arcade questions are always welcome in the live show episode too tim we're gonna talk about some arcade games you saw at the texas state yes. fair Oh. And so, um, which, since it's not quite really, surprising, yeah. exactly, quite surprising. So we'll talk about that as well. So if you're so inclined, stay tuned to the after show and hear about those topics. If not, thanks for joining us tonight. If this is your off ramp, then uh, we appreciate you being here. And we hope that you join us on the first Thursday night of November, Tim, which will be our next episode of the Arcade Repair Tips live show. Again, thank you for joining us. And remember, Tim, here at Arcade Repair Tips, when we fix the game, you we play, play the, the game. game. Take Goodbye, care, everybody. everybody. We'll see you in the after show or next month, first Thursday. Thank you.
you for watching this episode of the Arcade Repair Tips live show. All of our past episodes are available on our website at ArcadeRepairTips.com or on our YouTube page. This show is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult a professional before attempting to repair any coin-operated machines yourself. The preceding program is a Varcade Entertainment production.